All right, let's talk about controls. I have with me Mitch, who put together the PID control section to talk a little bit about all of the ins and outs of PID control and a little bit of other control algorithms and methods that are sort of adjacent to PID. So I think we're going to start off here with on-off control. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, yeah, so we have, I guess, six modules in this whole uh, unit, if you will, of uh, on-off and PID control. And I think most people um, would agree that PID in general is the most uh, popular control method out there. Um, it def I mean, it definitely is, and it solves a lot of control problems. So it's definitely an important topic. And uh, as you said, the first one that we start off with here is uh, on-off control. On-off control is, uh, I mean, the most basic type of control that everybody's familiar with. For example, controlling the temperature of a room. It doesn't require any mathematical model to implement this method. So it's very, uh, it's very easy, and it's very practical, and it's also found in many real-world systems out there. Like uh, if you look at process control, um, opening and closing a valve based on a measurement, I mean, these this is done you know, worldwide. But so in this module in particular, there's different ways to implement an on-off control. And we focus on uh, using a relay switch, which uh, adds some complexity because um, as you would find out, having a strict switch has uh, its own set of problems. So having, introducing them some hysteresis and stuff like that, will uh, improve your control response in certain applications. It's also here that we, uh, for people that are very new to controls, where we introduce a lot of the control terms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, set point uh, or reference signal, stuff like that. So it's, and again, because of the fam because they're familiar with this concept of, you know, controlling the temperature of a room or, or anything like that, hopefully it's a lot more t tangible. Yeah, I think it's a really good place to start. I just actually uh, got back from a, a conference and at the conference, we presented some control algorithms to high school students. And one of the really interesting things was the most tangible controller everyone's used, which I hadn't really thought about before, is a toilet, which to a certain extent is kind of on-off control. If the water level gets too low in the tank, the pump comes on and it fills it with water. When it gets too high, it turns off. It's a very simple on-off controller, but at the same time, it's everyone has seen it. Everyone knows exactly how it works to a certain extent. Yeah. So starting there, it makes sense. It's it's common controller. Uh, you know, I never actually thought about that. It, that's a really great example for sure. For it's sure. also like you said, like you can you can get as complex as a relay, but you can also get as simple as a valve and a switch, which is essentially what a how a toilet works. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's a great place to start. And uh, yeah, I like the uh, the way that we link it to industrial processes. I think it's really important to understand that though this is simple, it is used all over the place. It's not something that that is is simple, but and for that reason is only kind of used as an educational tool. It's actually used all over. Definitely. Yeah. So it's I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a very important one, and a lot of, a lot of times you don't need anything complicated, right? It does does a trick for many many systems, and if it, and again back to the process control example in like petrochemical or pulp and paper industries, like they have a whole bunch of on off controls, like they use all those together to control a fairly complex system, but yeah, there's absolutely. a whole bunch of them, so. Yeah, it's um, it's very uh, very historical method, I guess. Uh, but you know, even as we explore in this module, it depends on the application, and it does have its own set of drawbacks, and that's why it's kind of a good segue to learn about uh, the principles of PID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, getting into some of the drawbacks, I guess that's where we uh, we start to bridge into PID control. So, yeah, I think we start from the basics, which are 
proportional control just to get a little bit of a feel for what how proportional control works in terms of the intro to those three magical letters that powers 90 something percent of controls or that might be overblown slightly no yeah uh, yeah definitely um pid is set to solve like 90 percent of the control problems out there for the most part i think pi would probably be the most popular one in general but before that, proportional control on its own is kind of the uh, uh, the meat of the PID controller, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Because it does, um, depending on what you're con- controlling, of course, but if you're controlling uh, many different systems, it's kind of the, the, the principal term that you're using, right? That's the first one you're usually adjusting. And it fixes a lot of the issues that uh, you find in off control. For example, it smooths out the control signal a lot. You know, you don't get that chattering or high frequency stuff that you get from on off uh, in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Proportional control is basically just it's it's magnifying the error. You measure the error and then you, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. it's very simple. It's easy to implement. And again, it's used in many real world systems. But as you find out, it depends on the application, right? If you have stuff that is fairly high precision or high speed, the issue with proportional control is if you need a certain specification, like a certain response time for a fast mm-hmm. system, then, or actually another example would be if you have a steady state error in the system, which is common in like DC motors with frictions or whatever, then you got to bump up the gain to limit the error that you're getting. The problem is that and then you end up with a high gain and very high, high overshoots, mm-hmm. possible oscillations. So you need something else, right? That's where it's a good um, it's a good time to introduce uh, PD control. So right, adding yeah. that derivative control. And that actually gets back to the very first module in the entire app, which is the one that talks about the, the car driving along the road with the uh, suspension system, where you have a spring and you have a damper, which is sort of starting to introduce concepts like stiffness and damping, which come back into play immediately with PD control, where For sure. proportional is kind of like the spring stiffness and damping is kind of like a damper on your car, where... You need both together. They can work in some cases um, separately, but realistically, you need both together to to really give a nice solid response when you get that bump and you need to smooth it out. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely true. So yeah, then, so, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so the PD control, you know, very popular method. So PD is often used for stuff that's for higher speed systems, for example, controlling the position of a robot manipulator arm. Okay. So in that case, you know, you would have a, if you just use a proportional control in order to meet like certain peak time or rise time requirements, uh, again, you need to increase, you would potentially need to increase the gain very much. And then you get a large overshoot, which is a big no-no because then your end effector is all over the place, right? So if you're doing an application like a pick and place thing, you know, the end, the end of your robot arm is moving all over the place and not going to the location uh, desired in time, then adding derivative can minimize those uh, vibrations and uh, undesirable overshoots all right fair enough is it common then uh, when you have a pd controller to apply it to a particular type of system like a servo motor or is it just sort of a general tool that you can use to to solve that problem when you S- servo you, motor is very common in servo motors for sure right, uh, cool. but anything that's very high speed and stuff like that like laser beam stabilization devices that uh, and stuff like that or fast steering mirrors uh, applications like that so uh, but again the thing, though, with PD, again, right, again, with the advantages and disadvantages, uh, yes, it'll, you know, limit your overshoot, you get the response you want, your boss is happy because you met all the specifications, <laughs> but you have to watch it because if your measured signal has any noise or like an encoder signal has these steps and stuff like that, then any noise they have will be amplified by the derivative 
Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you're feeding that into the actuator, right? So you don't, you know, having a noisy signal and applying that to an actuator is not a good idea, especially in the long term. You could potentially damage um, the motor, the servo motor, for example, right? So you want to limit that. Uh, so the way you can fix that, and that's, this is explored in the module, you introduce a filter, right? So you introduce a filter and you can smooth that out. And that basically rectifies the problem, but it does introduce a, some time delay, some dynamics to your signal, right? So it just, uh, I guess, like like anything in life, it requires a bit of balance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because that, again, starts to speak to a little bit about what we're, we've are we been trying to do with this app, which to give, not just to give the theory behind how these algorithms come together, but also some of the considerations of how in the actual implementation of something like this and hardware, you need to be careful of some of these things to make sure that you don't, like you said, introduce noise, which is something you would never have in a simulation or in the mathematics of, of the PD controller, you would never see noise. But in reality, there's noise, especially from a lot of sensors that are, are used to measure rotation. And so you need to figure out a way around that and, and figure out, how, like you said, how to compensate for the problems that those uh, those techniques bring up. So that's uh, that's excellent. I think the last part is sort of once you've got your so you start proportional, you get your response. If it's a little bit too slow or... To get it fast enough, you need to have a little bit of overshoot, then you add your your derivative term. And let's say that the derivative term, uh, once you add that, now you've got a little bit of steady state error. It's a little bit of a an offset once you get to where where yeah. the response is finished. Well, yeah, you can even get that, like, like back to the proportional control. Propor- proportional control, problem with that is you either end up with some steady state error, but then if you increase the gain, you get overshoot. PD fixes overshoot, but let's say... You just have steady state error with proportional control and you don't want to increase the gain too much. One way to fix that is the integral control. And um, it's, I mean, integral control is like magic. It fixes a lot of stuff. Like I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Like it, you know, I got the opportunity to work with uh, Professor Carl Astrom and he coined it that way, right? The magic of integral control, I think. Not not exactly in those terms, but it is a very powerful technique. But, you know, it it does demand a bit of respect. Um, I think it's, a bit overused sometimes or uh, not overused but used improperly and that is something again uh, in the module we try to uh, shed some light on but anyway uh, having said that pi control i think is, is is probably the most common type of of the variations of pid because it's it's the one that's predominantly used in a lot of plc controllers and oh, yeah. like pid is usually like you can do pid but the derivative term is usually more for, I think, high-speed kind of applications uh, from what, you know, from my standpoint. And PI is more for, you know, if you're controlling water level and heat and stuff like that, PI comes into play a lot more. Uh, so it's a very powerful tool, like uh, like I said, and that will solve your steady-state error issue. Disturbance rejection as well. So it's really good for disturbance rejection. So if you have a servo motor controlling, controlling position, if you add an integral and you have a perturbation on the load gear or whatever, it can compensate for that as well. So it's, you know, it's, again, it's a magic of inter- integral control. It's a very powerful technique. Nice. Yeah, I guess for what we, we like to call the larger time constant processes, the ones where the response is maybe not quite as instantaneous, it's a little bit slow, like the, like you said, like a tank or a, a heating system, that's that's perfect. Yeah, because it's, uh, yeah. you get to that, uh, that slow, gradual increase in steady state, but then if you don't quite make it, you need that, that extra little little effort to get right to where you need to be yeah but i guess like you said like everything else there's a downside as well in terms of uh if you don't really have the authority let's say you're switching between manual control versus automatic control or you're uh you don't quite have the actuator authority to be able to to have the controller 
actuate the system and get it to do what it what it wants to do, you run into problems with PI control as well. Yeah, and especially if you end up saturating the actuator. So many systems, and people forget this when they're simulating systems all the time, right? That you have limits in the actuator. Um, and for example, like the uh, the water tank example that we use, right? It has limits on the pump, right? So if you can't go more than a certain voltage and you keep uh, outputting and maxing the actuator out at that voltage, then uh, that's where you get a phenomenon called uh, integrator windup. That can cause potentially quite major issues, right? Because then you get a very large overshoots. So the very thing you're trying to solve is something that can actually get worse if you're not tuning the integral properly for a certain for certain cases, right? Not everything. You know, usually it's it's fine, but there's there's definitely a fair share of cases where when you have actuator limits and you saturate the actuator, the integral keeps winding up and building up this energy so that even when you reach your desired set point or your reference signal, it'll keep outputting a control signal. You know, you'll get a very large overshoot or even worse, you get lots of oscillations and stuff and your system can actually even go unstable in some cases, I've seen that. So the way you, that's a segue to another, to the anti-windup module uh, that we have there. And I guess, like you say, in the anti-windup module, there's lots of different techniques to to compensate whether it to be adjusting how much uh, how much the set point has authority over what the system is doing. I think probably the, the easiest thing that we do typically, especially if you're switching between, like I said, manual control versus automatic control, whether it's your switching techniques or I guess probably quite often in, in a plant. I learned this back when I was in university. You, uh, If you have an operator who wants to turn on their own adjustment and then go back to automatic control you can have just a reset on your integrator to to make sure that you, you reset those integrals right when you're going to get started and that kind of thing so yeah there's, there's various ways around it but like you said it's something to definitely keep in mind when you're doing pi control or even pid control that you're going to have to to figure out a way around that if it becomes an issue yeah so yeah like as you know right in that module we do something we do like a reset integrator like you're talking about uh, and the way that's done is um is basically having another feedback loop that uh, looks at your saturated control signal and your unsaturated signal. It takes the difference and basically minimizes the input to the integrator. And that with that, you can uh, alleviate any issues of, uh, of wind up. Mm-hmm. So that's one method. And, uh, you know, I think it's something that's uh, maybe some resources don't uh, address as much, but it's, it's definitely a practical issue that we, um, we talk about in this uh yeah, absolutely. Module. I was going to say, even with the the modules that we do that don't talk about explicitly things like filtering for derivatives and things like the uh, anti-integral windup for, for integrators, we're using those protocols behind the scenes. I know, for instance, the feedforward lab is using integral windup. I think almost everything we're doing that has a derivative term is likely using a filter at some point. I know when I started uh, working here, the first thing that our, our founder said to me was, you'd never do a derivative without a filter. Like, it's it's madness. You, wh- why would you do that? So it's it's un- behind the scenes with almost everything we do and uh, definitely important things to keep in mind beyond just the, the theory of how this kind of controller works all around you. Yeah. I, I guess the last, the last thing I want to mention is uh, the full PID control. Oh, yes, of course. Right? The full gamut because uh, even though it's, uh, you know, PD and PI on its own will do a lot with anti-windup or filtering and all that stuff, but the full PID is... Uh, Again, I, I, it's not the most popular one. I mean, having like, it's the most popular. Everybody talks about PID, but they end up usually using either PD or PI in a lot of applications. But the full PID is definitely has its fair share of cases that where you need all three terms. And the example that we use is 
is when you're trying to control like a servo or a robot arm that has friction in it, like Coulomb friction. Uh, that's something that I've personally encountered a lot, right? So you have a, a model that's idealized because you the Coulomb friction is a nonlinear term, so you don't have that in, in your model. So you design your PI or your PD controller based on, uh, well, let's say you're designing your PD controller based on uh, a set of specifications, based on an ideal model. You go to implement it on the actual system, but then you find out, oh, wait a minute, why am I getting steady state error? Like my plant had an integrator in it and didn't have this issue, and now I do. Uh, and that's that's because of the, you know, you didn't model everything in the actual system, and that's that's where you would need to introduce, um, well, you don't need to, but one way, or one of the easiest ways to compensate for that friction and get the response that you you desire is introducing the I term. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that, that's about it. Great. Is there a, a process to, to either figuring out which controller is the best approach for what you're doing or to to kind of work your way through probing how it how it works is there like a kind of a a standard go-to recipe for what controller is right for what you're doing or would it just sort of be uh start at the beginning and and, uh or ask some experts or well i mean that's a good question i guess it depends like if you're controlling a plant that already has an integrator within it and doesn't have any steady state error like after your open loop analysis or whatever and you're doing simulations then uh, in that case you probably don't need an I term right away, right? So, but if you're controlling something like position for servo, you start with proportional, you could always start with proportional control, then see if that matches it and then go for PD or something like that, then add the filter. And that is usually will, will be fine, right? Uh, if you're controlling the speed of a servo motor, uh, then that, you know, will have some, some uh, error in a steady state error because uh, the plant for a servo for controlling the speed of a servo does not have an integrator with it so you know there'll be steady state error so you might as well you could start right off with uh, the pi controller and then you see whether or not you need anti-windup right for a servo you probably don't but if you're controlling the level of a water tank or heat transfer devices like stuff you're you're mentioning like with long uh, large time constants then you might need the anti-windup strategy so it's kind of like that, right? For controlling something like position, high speed, like robot arms, servo motors, go for PD. You'll probably need filtering for other stuff with longer time constants, PIs, if you need anti-windup, depending on if it's a slow or fast system. And then based on that, right? I think it's it's based on those. Like you usually know if it's on off or... Yeah. Like on off and PID, but I think we can separate. That's a bit more clear. But yeah, you know, PD or PI, you implement it. And then you see if you need PID after that, right? For example, like the case I was giving, right? You design a PD for a robot arm, you implement it, you're getting error, you notice, okay, it's because of the friction I did model, but it's not that bad. So if I just give a light integral control, I should have the same response that I'm expecting without without that, yeah. uh, that without a steady state error. So very general guidelines, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's either that or you start getting some uh, advanced like yeah. friction compensation and or non-linear control. Which I mean is only for very particular cases, and you know it's a lot more work. Yeah, we'll cross um, that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right, it's only for certain applications. All right, great, thank you, thank you.